Hi, this is Bailey Curry. Dallin Bestwick here. Brennan Gaunt here, former driver number 62. This is Gary Owen from the Going YouTube channel. Hi, I'm Rafael Sard. Quick Pick Podcast. It's not that tough. Connor, Ethan, Quick Pick Podcast. You're listening to it. Everybody tune in. Welcome back to the Quick Pit Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan, back at it again with another episode on the show. Big thank you to Washington on the Daily, SpoilerDiecast.com, 213Simware.com, and the Variety Sports Network for supporting this show. Check out all their links in the description below, and you will hear more about them as the episode goes on. Connor's having a really busy summer, so Eric is back on the show today. Are you ready to recap a a thrilling, thrilling, I tell you, Atlanta race from this past weekend that had me on the edge of my seat all race long? Are you ready? Absolutely. That was indeed a very good race. Had me on the edge of my bed, actually, because it was two in the morning and I was watching the race from, from my bed. But yeah, that was that was a good one. Yeah. So I want to start off. Well, we, we should set the stage, right? Sunday night race. Um, you obviously do not like night races because of your location. Um, however, I love night races. Um, at least, okay, the, the, the cars look phenomenal under the lights. Can you at least agree to that? Look, my hate of night races has nothing to do with the aesthetic or the racing because half the time, and this is like, actually, I would say 90% of the time. The cars look cooler and the racing's better when it's night. It's just that I cannot justify staying up that late every single weekend. Like it's, it's not, especially on a week on a weekday, like on a weeknight before you know, before Monday. That's just not gonna happen. Uh, you are very lucky that it's not that you're not a fan in say two thousand and seven. Because I was reading, they used to have, like, close to half the season on Saturday nights. Especially when you got into the summer. Saturday nights wouldn't be as bad because the next day is Sunday. I can sleep in and I'll be fine. But, for example, if which is, this will happen when the playoffs start, which really sucks. The first round is usually full of night races. And that's going to be, you know, in September, October, stuff like that. I won't be able to stay up and watch those because I'll probably have school the next day. And that's, you know, that's not going to be that that easy to do. Yeah. Well, the next night race will be uh, Daytona. And that is a Saturday night. Or it's supposed to be. Then the following weekend is on a Sunday night. For us, it's Labor Day, but you don't have Labor Day, correct? Uh, Well, I, I think we have... Something, uh, something a little similar to it. Um, it's not, it's not in September like it is for you guys. It's in May, but we have something very similar. Yes, it's on the first of May here. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's Dover Day. Um, but you you have the holiday, but just not on Southern Five Hundred weekend. Like that's the reason why that race is on a Sunday night is because everyone just about everyone has off the next morning. And then the Bristol night race too is now at least for where we go to school is the oh wait no Bristol night race is a Saturday night. So and that I think is your last night race of the year. Because we don't have a, a, a Richmond night race anymore. So you're you're close. And you only have one more Sunday night race left. Um, but truly, like, we used to have a Kentucky night race. We used to have a Kansas night race. Chicagoland used to be at night uh, when we had that. Uh, at least one, if not both, of the Richmond races. Atlanta used to be at night, I think. We used to have an auto club. Did you know we went to NASCAR went to Fontana twice a year until, like, 2011? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you, honestly. <laughs> and that would be a really late one because they do a night race for it. um, And it would be 
it would be um night race California time. So like they'd wait till the sun started setting there. So it would be like a nine o'clock green flag on the east coast. Um which is pretty wild. Anyway, we're we're off on a tangent here. This night race was pretty dang good. Um really, really good racing under the lights. The the Atlanta configuration, it took four races, but the new super speedway-esque Atlanta configuration finally turned out a really, really good race. And um certainly some combination of the heat baked into the track by the hot Atlanta sun. Um, some uh, factoring in from the, the overall temperature, like I said, the, the race being under the lights, giving them the grip to to, to drive as it got later. And then the urgency of the incoming rainstorm all night long. They didn't know when the rain would start. As soon as it got within 20 laps of lap 130, which was the halfway point, we found the, the whole field racing like their head was cut off. And yet, keeping it mostly clean. And it just made for an overall incredible night. They could pass. There was battles for the lead. I think this is better than both Daytona and Talladega this year. This race better for a pack super speedway type race than uh, Daytona because handling was an issue. And then the drivers had to wrestle the cars and, and figure things out on their own and work that out. What were your overall takeaways of, of the racing product on track? Um, it definitely got way better as the track cooled off. Um, the first stage was, uh, you know, your usual next gen super speedway race, you know, single file around the top, not much passing, not many moves being made. And uh, honestly, I'm starting to think this is not as much the car, just the drivers not really being confident in their cars when the conditions aren't really right. Because, um... Next gen can certainly get huge runs. They can certainly make moves. I just think the drivers need ideal conditions to be able to do that. And honestly, if that prevents more wrecks, I am all for it. If they feel like them choosing their their moments to to fight it out on the track better would make for better racing, then I think that is I think that is good on the drivers' part that they're being more responsible with how they're driving these tracks because you know a good super speedway race. Is a lot more enjoyable when you know it. You don't you don't see the whole field wreck seven times. Yeah, I mean we had three three cars fail to finish the race, and we had twenty seven cars finish on the lead lap, which is really really impressive. Like you said, it's it's a a really good run. And and my favorite Talladega and Daytona races of years past are the ones where they hold it together the whole race. Because that is almost, that's more exciting than the wrecks, right? Watching them dice it up while still holding it together. I think stage one even was pretty good. I mean, they, they did take it easy a little bit, especially because it was evident how hard it was to control the car. I mean, do we have two single car spins or was it just Harrison Burton? I feel like we had two single car spins in the first stage. Uh, I only remember Harrison Burton. I maybe there was another one, but maybe I just think another one maybe. Harrison. But still, drivers were losing it, uh getting getting loose off the corner. But then as the stage get end came closer, they, they it ratcheted up in the last 15 laps of stage one were some of the most exciting edge of my seat racing I've seen all year long. That was fantastic. Absolutely. That was, I I think that was proof that the next gen, you know, on super speedways is not that different from the gen six racing product wise. I just think the mentality of the drivers has changed. I think they've gotten sick of of the constant wreckfests. Yeah. Now I, I'm thinking of Larson's three wide move to try in, in, into turn three on the last lap of that stage, and I, I'm kind of thinking, could someone pull? Could someone get that kind of run, and then pull a move off like that at a Daytona or Talladega? I think Atlanta's different in that the bottom line you can actually. Kind you can kind of drive the corners like any other intermediate in that the bottom line you can drive it in deep 
the top line, you get a big run off the top, whereas at Daytona and Talladega, it's all kind of the same. Did, did you notice the same thing during the race? Because I it it raced really like the hybrid it was designed to be, and I think that made the racing really good on Sunday night. Well, the track is smaller in size. It is way smaller than Daytona and Talladega, but the speeds are, you know are still pretty high for the size of the track. So you can still kind of send it and carry a lot more speed than someone in front of you, as opposed to Daytona and Talladega, which in, in comparison to what we had in years past, now are really, really slow. And you can't really do any sort of moves anymore because everyone's kind of just going the same speed. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree on that. Overall, great, great race. As we've said many times, let's get into the top 10 here. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse. Oh, we should say, first of all, the race got rain delayed. We'll talk about that in a second. Or not rain delayed, but it, it ended under rain. It did not go the full distance. 185 laps was the total distance um, out of uh, 260, I believe it would have been. Um, so it didn't go the full distance. They they called it pretty quick, but the storm was moving in. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. But first, top ten. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. gets a top ten. Um, another one for him this year. I believe it's number six. Yeah, already number six, which is a high for him at um, at, at JTG Doherty Racing. He's still top fifteen in points or top sixteen in points. Even though he does have that win this year uh, at Daytona, uh, six top tens, Eric, that is tied for second most in his career, with the the most he's achieved in a season at, at nine, and he's just barely halfway through this season. He has a two position better average finish than his career best in years past. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. with a fantastic season in twenty twenty three. Not only does this put into context how good Ricky and JTG have gotten it's just also showing how bad Roush was back then like my god just awful wow I'm looking at his stats right now back in the Roush days and that is rough woof woof that is rough yes all right who's in ninth place uh, one second. I gotta, I gotta pull up. Oh, oh, oh you don't have it pulled up. I'll carry it from here. You, you let me know. Uh, when, when you have it pulled up. Ninth place, Ryan Blaney led twenty laps, won a stage, was up front all night, started second. Good run for him. He's a factor all night, like we expect Ryan Blaney to be at, at a drafting track, and uh, continues the the string of good finishes for the driver of the twelve. Justin Haley now has two straight top tens. As all right, I have it pull it up. Is building some momentum. Well, you you can come back. Uh, you can announce your favorite driver when we get to him in a few moments. Uh, okay. Justin, Justin Haley has uh, now five top tens on the year. All right, last uh, coming off last week at Chicago, where he led twenty three laps and finished second. That was an impressive run from Haley there. But two straight top tens. I don't know if he's done that before in his career, but um, he is having a good year. He's uh, improved on last year. He's it got a fighting chance at a playoff spot. I'm not saying it's a great chance, but he's at least within striking distance if he keeps this run going. And I, I am impressed with uh, Justin Haley this summer and the improvement we've seen from him. Any thoughts on Justin Haley? Um, Very, very solid season so far for him, all things considered. um, I don't think there's anyone that is just more solid and consistent in the midfield than Justin Haley at the moment. Just overall, he doesn't wreck much at all. And even when he does have an incident, he still finishes out the race. So that is a skill that is uh, not as appreciated as it once was. Justin Haley has only failed to finish one race this year. Last year, he only DNF three times. So, uh, like you said, a very impressive pedigree for Justin Haley. And another JJ, did you know that Justin Haley goes by Justin Haley? His real name, he typically would go by JJ Haley, but because there's a JJ Yaley, he changed it. Did you know that? No, and you just blew my mind. Yes. So speaking of JJ Yaley, he finishes seventh, 
how many years? Take a guess if you don't have it pulled it up. If you don't have it pulled up, when was the last time JJ Yaley finished in the top the top ten before he finished seventh for Rick Ware Racing? I actually know this because I've seen I've seen this on Reddit a couple days ago. 2013 Daytona 500. Yes, and uh, I I don't even know this off the top of my head. When was the last time he did it? He got a top ten at a non uh, Daytona or Talladega track. Uh, well, I have it pulled up here. It's 2008 Loudon. He finished third. Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm looking at this. J- JJ Yaley has three career top tens at Loudon. That that is weird. Including wait, he finished third in 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 two thousand eight. What in happened? the ninety six car? In the ninety six, uh, um, what was that? Hall of Fame racing? Yeah, not not Gone Brothers. It's even worse. Like it can get worse than Gone Brothers. All right, all right. I want. I, we're we're gonna take a break here. This is this is gonna extend the podcast. But I have the top ten of this race pulled up. I want you. To listen to this top 10 here. Okay. All right. I'm trying to pull that up here. No, no, don't pull it up. I'm just going to read it to you. Okay. Coming in home in 10th in the 2008 Lennox Industrial Tools 301 at New Hampshire. We have Bobby Labonte in the 43 car. Not that surprising. He was decently solid in that car. Okay. In ninth place, we have Jimmy Johnson. Not That's surprising. actually underperforming. Yeah. By his standards in 2008. Yeah. Denny Hamlin came in eighth. That's pretty on par with Denny Hamlin at that time. And then and then we get into this. So we have Casey Mears finishing seven. Now, this was when he drove for Hendrick, but still, it's Casey Mears. And Casey Mears led 53 laps in this race. 53 laps. Coming home in sixth place in this race. Keep in mind that this guy started sixth, qualified sixth. We have none other but Reed Sorensen in the 41 car for Chip Ganassi. Well, that just brings up another question. I, I sincerely did not know the 41 Chip Ganassi car was still around in 2008. I, 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 I honestly always just thought that was like an early 2000s like bingo card sort of deal. Like, Oh, you remember when Chip Ganassi had a 41 car? That is so weird. Well, so now now we're off on another rabbit hole. In 2000, until 2000 and, well, I, I'm not entirely sure because they did, um, they did merge with Earnhardt with, with uh, DEI after the 2008 season. So that's like off of the Chip Ganassi racing records. But they ran three cars for a long time. Um, so, yes, David Stremme drove full-time for them for multiple years. Um, I believe in the 40. Yes. David Stremme drove the course late for... Okay, you know what? We are getting way too off. <laughs> way too off topic. We also have Dario Franchitti on here, which that... That was a fever dream when you think back on that. Uh, uh, what, what did Frankiti drive? Was it IndyCar? Yes, Frankiti is a multi-time IndyCar champion for Chip Ganassi. So they had two IndyCar drivers because Montoya do- drove IndyCar too. They had two IndyCar drivers at the same time. Yes. And it went about as well as you would expect. Actually, Dario Frankiti did run the... Uh, 2008 Linux Industrial Tools 301 at New Hampshire. He started seventh. How? Excuse me? What What happened in this race? I'm going to have to watch this. I, I am thinking the same thing because you want to guess who, who won the poll? I, this is even more off topic, but didn't Boris said win the poll at, at Daytona at some point? I think he did. Guess who won the poll in this race? Um, oh, go ahead. I'm trying to. I'm trying to make an honest guess. I'm thinking of who is bad at the time and who would be surprising to win a poll. Uh, Sam Hornish. 
Was he even in the Cup Series in 2008? He was. He was. He started 20th that race. That's still really good for Sam Hornish. And finished though. 39th. Oh, that's 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 average Sam Hornish. That's more like it. For, for Penske. For Roger Penske. Brad saved that team. Um, No. The, the poll winner was Patrick Carpentier. What team was that? Like the 10 car? Like yeah. Scott Rake's 10 car? What team was that? That was for uh, Gillette Evernham at the time. That was a nice car, though. That 10 car with the Valvoline. Uh, it nice. did not have Valvoline for this race. It had the Berlin City Auto Group. Okay, then. Yeah. No idea what that is, but I'll take your Scott word Riggs for it. Scott did run that race. He, what? What? Okay. <laughs> this race just gets wackier and wackier the more. This I is more at... interesting than, than the Atlanta recap. <laughs> I know. Um, so, no one knows what happened in Atlanta. No one knows what happened at this race. So, this is more interesting. So, okay. This is a side note. I don't know if you've listened to Speed Street with Connor Daly. That's It's a Dirty Mo podcast now. Do you at least know of its existence? What podcast was that? Sorry, Speed Street. It's Connor Daly, Indy, former IndyCar driver, and uh, comedian Joey Molinaro. They started it on their own, and then they like got picked up by Dirty Mo Media. So it's in the same family as DBC and Dale Junior Download and stuff. No, I'm a I'm a Dirty Mo Media newbie. I only watch the 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 download and actions extras that matter that actions detrimental. Okay, they they always do a random Indy 500 driver. Maybe we should do a random race, a random COT race or something like that. I am so down for that. This is too much fun because the COT was honestly unhinged for a lot of it. But it has to be 2007, 2008 COT because that's when it was the wackiest. Okay, that is that is fair. So Patrick Carpentier wins the poll. Isn't it Patrick Carpentier? Ah, you are right. Probably. Probably. Where did this guy even come from? (laughs) I I think Quebec. Oh, 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 he was an IndyCar driver. Oh. Uh, Is he he Canadian? Yes, he is Canadian. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it, yes. Uh, Actually, correction, he was a champ car driver. Or cart. Um best finish of third twice in two thousand two and two thousand four. He won two races at Laguna Seca. And also one at Bad. Michigan, one at Cleveland, and one at Mid Ohio. So absolute legend, Patrick Carpentier. I mean, it doesn't sound like a slouch either. No, it doesn't. He doesn't. He also ran a, a full season in IndyCar. In 2005. So get him on the show. That would be fun if we could get one of those guys. Because look, look, the old cart and IndyCar drivers, they had some stones, man. You watch those races, they're running. They ran basically, they ran 240 miles per hour every single week. Old IndyCar. Like, that's some wacky stuff. Uh, Anyway. We should finish this race recap so we can get over to Atlanta here. So Reed Sorensen finished sixth in the 2008 Lennox Industrial Tools 301. Connor went fifth place in that race for Gillette Evernham Motorsports is Elliot Sadler. Which I feel like that was okay. That was not that was like the final year that he was respectable was 2008 in Connor. That's not that's not that. I mean, it's had it was decent. That's not that surprising. No, but it to me it is. I mean, that's that's not your your powerhouse team. Um, we've got Martin Truex Jr. finishing fourth. This is DEI Martin Truex Jr. post Jr. DEI. So this is like the Frankenstein DEI. That's not very good. Yeah, except he finished fifteenth in points that year. And didn't he get a win that year too? Uh he got a win in 2007. Three that, top you're right. 11 top tens that year for Martin Truex Jr. JJ Yaley finished third. 
like previously mentioned. When where did he start? Thirtieth. Jesus. It gets better. Uh second place. Take a wild guess at this one. I don't know who was driving at the time. I'm really gonna have to think about it. Um you, you get one guess and then I'll give you a hint. Uh Jason Leffler. That's pretty that's pretty good, but no. Uh where did Jason Leffler finish that race? Oh man, it doesn't look like he ran that race. Oh darn. Oh darn is right. Uh no, it is the one, the only, the king of the gridwalk, Michael Waltrip. When he said the king, I was gonna be like, Richard Petty <laughs> ran that race. <laughs> Surprise. Um it was his first top five since 2005. And he will not have another top five until 2013 in, I think, the Daytona 500 of that year. But I'm not sure. Let us not forget, he would have won the 2012 Talladega race if Stewart did not throw the dumbest block ever. Okay. I will, I will, uh, I, I, I will trust that you are accurate in that. Watch the clip after the podcast. You'll see he, he had the big run. He would have won it. Stewart threw a block. Wow. And then the winner of the race was Kurt Busch. This is this is Miller Lite Kurt Busch in 2008. So like B-tier team Penske. Yes, B-tier Penske. So I don't know what happened this entire weekend because the, the, the pole winner was Carpentier. Car, Carpentier? Carpentier. Outside pole was Bobby Labonte. Um, third place was Kevin Harvick qualifying fourth place won the only Scott Riggs for a pre-Stuart Gene Haas fifth place was Dale Jr. sixth place Reed Sorensen seventh place in qualifying Dario Franchitti eighth place where's eighth place eighth place was Truex ninth place was Matt Kenseth, and 10th place was A.J. Allmendinger, who finished last for Red Bull in that race. Now, here's even something even more shocking. Dale, like, COT era, HMS Dale Jr. starting sixth. Start fifth, actually. And oh, 29 even laps. better. 29 laps. Tony Stewart led the most laps in that race, with thir- uh, finished 13th, he had 132. Kevin Harvick led some laps. Casey Mears led 53. I think this looks like I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pretty sure there was rain because they only ran 284 laps. But I'm not certain. I'm going to watch this race when we're done with it. Now, that whole experience excursion took us 15 minutes off the bean path. Back to back to Atlanta. Um where I don't think we even finished the uh, the top ten. Nope. Who finished sixth, Eric? The one, the only, the sixth car, Brad Keselowski. Yes. What an absolutely legendary run for a great up-and-coming legendary team in the making, RFK. Absolutely a uh, wonderful run would have absolutely won the race if it went green because he was the fastest car on track by far. You I don't know why I'm like talking four more laps. I think he would have won because he had fresh tires and he was, that was one of the things that made the racing good was that tires mattered. You don't often see that at a speedway race. He was driving up through the field. I never take tires at Daytona on heat five. So, it's, well, it's cool to see them matter here. I think, I think honestly, what the what the race raced like was like a a a, a mid two thousands indie car race or any indie car oval race, right? Where you have or, the or early two thousands play track. Yes, you have the draft, but you're not. They don't stay in a massive pack. Tires matter. That. 
if you have tires, you can make much sketchier, more daring moves and make it stick. But it's still high speed, high speed chess. Um, coming home in fifth, Kyle Bush continues to have a fantastic first season with uh, RCR. He has the most top tens in the series now with 12, seven top fives, three wins, average finish of 11.2. That's also the best in the series. He's third in points now. Kyle Bush, renaissance season for the driver of the eight now. Um, he, I didn't know he had 12 top tens already. My goodness. That that's all you need is a scenery change. Yeah. He has the last time he failed to finish in the top 10 was Kansas. Kansas. Uh, that's uh, seven straight top tens, and he's got a win and four top fives in that span as well. Uh, coming home in fourth, we have Michael McDowell with some damage, pulled the epic strategy call of not pitting. It's like if Lightning McQueen's strategy worked in cars, basically. And he gets very lucky with the rain and the fuel. He was on fumes under caution. They would have had to pit if they went back green, but the rain came. They did not come home with a fourth-place finish, and that team is now in the playoffs on points. Here is something that I've always been mad about, that scene in cars. (laughs) How did his left rear tire blow up? That makes no sense. (laughs) When do we ever see left-side tires blow out? At ovals. That is, like, usually that doesn't happen. It's dude, always the right. Dude, we've got five minutes left in our Zoom. So, therefore, five minutes left in the segment, and you're talking about left rear tires and cars. I'm just saying that always bothered me. Ever since I started understanding NASCAR, that always bothered me. That is now, – now, you make a good point, but we should dive into it later – Top three, Eric. Hit us with the top three. The podium for this NASCAR race. You want me to just lift them off rapid fire? or? Sure. All right. So third place, we have AJ Allmendinger. Uh, great run for the Collie cars as a whole. Both of them in the top ten. They've been getting better. Better and better. So this is cool to see. Daniel Suarez coming in second. So close to making it a free and a row for Trackhouse. Um, he's getting some speed finally, so... Maybe he'll be able to have a, a, a solid uh, second half of the season here. And coming into first, backing into this one, William Byron won the race, led 19 laps, um, spun at one point, went to the back, had a very weird day, but somehow he won it. I, I, it's funny seeing people salty about William Byron winning. Um, he's having a great year. He's leading the points even with a 60-point penalty. Uh, he would be 80 points to the lead if not for that penalty he uh, sustained earlier in the season. Already has 740 laps, which is close to the high we had last year of anyone. He's dominating. He really is. And uh, yes, this win, he did not dominate. And yes, he kind of backed into it, but he also did kind of take command and nobody was able to get around him at the end of the race when there was a lot of passing for the lead throughout the evening. William Byron is very slowly turning into uh, a young Truex because this he wins races just like how Truex does. He just goes out and dominates them, like completely. But he didn't dominate. You fall asleep. Well, no, but look at his other wins, and they've all just been like extremely dominant. Even those for last year, he's always just if if he wins most of the time, at least if he wins, it's usually because he just slammed everyone. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that wraps up our race, a recap of Atlanta and also of the 2008 Linux Industrial Tools 301. Before we move on to segment two, for which Eric may or may not be here, um, smooth move of the race, real quickly. What was your what was the smoothest move of the race? Oh man, I'm gonna have to try to remember. Okay, uh, I'll give you mine. All right, yeah, you 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 go ahead with yours. I'll think I'm gonna about give it. mine to Michael McDowell. And more accurately, crew chief Travis Peterson for not only repairing that car when it got damaged from colliding with Truex on pit road, but strategying that car to last 91 laps on fuel and get a huge points gain. 
39 points. Once again, one of the highest amounts of points in the field uh, won by McDowell. And he uh, continues to move up the standings and is now in a playoff spot with seven races left in the regular season. Real quick, Eric. All right. I got, I think I got Brad Keselowski for that entire uh, second stage when he was blocking both lanes, somehow making it work. We've seen him. We've seen him do it. Do it before at Atlanta. He's always really good at throwing smart blocks. He's gotten good at it. He used to be really bad with the blocks, but now he's getting really smart with them. And I think that that is to be appreciated. Absolutely. So that wraps up segment number one of this week's episode. Still plenty more to come, including my plans for the weekend at New Hampshire, and some news in segment number two, including some contract extensions and more. That's up next on the Quick Fit Podcast. Podcast. It's your host Ethan here for segment number two of this week's show. News segment as we finally have some news to recap and break down here. Um, Eric uh, had to go and work on some other stuff. So I will do the last two segments by myself. That is perfectly fine. Um, however, uh, we do have a lot of news to break down. Starting off with Corey LaJoy, who is finalist. Pardon, according to The Athletic and Jordan Bianchi of The Athletic, Corey LaJoy is working on finalizing a multi-year extension with Spire Motorsports to continue driving the 7 car. Uh, it's expected to be done in a few weeks. LaJoy is having a really good season for Spire on the fringe of playoff contention. Uh, could be a factor for some race wins and, and has definitely been a pack factor for top 10s, top 15s, good runs all season long for him. He's currently 24th in points after a rough race at Atlanta in which he crashed out. But, uh, you know, you look at Spire. They just got a new sponsor in Gainbridge, a big sponsor, big deal, lots of races with them. They're, they're bringing in big partners. They're, they're starting to have some good runs. And, uh, you know, I, I we can talk more, and I feel like this is something I should wait for Eric and... Um, probably or Eric and slash or Connor to debate, but I feel like it's respectable for LaJoy to stay here uh, because you know what you've got here. You've got a growing building team that you're comfortable with, you're familiar with, you like your guys. It's on the upswing versus jumping into a car that maybe on the downswing, like a, uh, like a Stuart Haas racing car where we expect another seat to open up there or another seat somewhere else. Um, I, I don't think this is career suicide for Corey LaJoy. It might mean... It, it's definitely the safe move. I'll put it that way. You could jump to a team that is perceivably bigger and more important. And fall flat on your face. And, and look bad. Or be stuck with a team that's regressing. Whereas Spire... There's hope. There's improvement. And there's a chance at uh, some really good runs there. So I, I don't hate it. We will definitely see. He's probably going to be here at this this means he'll probably be there at least two more years so after that we can uh, reassess and and look at how it benefited him versus say whoever ends up in the 10 car for Stuart Haas racing some other news as I mentioned Gamebridge did sign with Spire Motorsports for 18 races it sounds like for the remainder of the year um Sound, I think I, I'm not sure the wording exactly, but it sounds like pretty much every week there will be either on the seven of LaJoy or the 77 of Ty Dillon for Aspire Motorsports. Uh, I think this means because they also ran in their truck um, at Mid Ohio this past weekend, Spire ran uh, Michael or not Michael Marco Andretti, son of Michael Andretti, grandson of Mario Andretti. Um, who of course works with Andretti Autosport and IndyCar. Andretti has talked about possibly buying into NASCAR. This could be the avenue to do it because Gamebridge sponsors Andretti's star driver Colton Herta 
in the IndyCar series. So all those connections there means this could be a hint of something to come, or even if it's not a buyout, an extended partnership between the two teams. Some other news, the Hall of Fame ballot has uh, been released, uh, and Jimmy Johnson and Chad Canals have both been added to the ballot, as well as some other modern era drivers. Both those guys are getting in, Jimmy and Canals. Canals engineered all of Jimmy's uh, championship winning runs. Those two really should always be in the conversation together, and of course they will both be first ballot Hall of Famers, and if you're on the ballot with them, well, sorry, you're going to have to wait till next year. And that doesn't mean anyone else on the ballot. I don't have it pulled up. Uh, we'll talk about it in depth more later. But anyone else on the ballot um, sucks. Sorry. <laughs> not this year. Uh, not the, This is not the year for you to be added to the Hall of Fame, but it, it, it still means there are lots of guys on the ballot worthy. It's just Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss are more worthy. It's like when Jeff Gordon was uh, up for voting in the Hall of Fame, or Tony Stewart, you're, you're not going to to beat those guys out, and that doesn't mean you're bad anyway. These are the greatest of all time. Knauss is, I think, one of, I think Knauss is the greatest crew chief of all time, and uh, Jimmy Johnson can be debated to be one of the greatest Cup Series driver of all time, as well. Some other news for the week. This week is the 30th anniversary of Donnie Allison passing, or not Donnie, Davey Allison passing away. Gone far too soon. I think we need a reminder of just how good he was and how much we missed on Davey Allison and his career. Um, so I'm going to take a real quick break and then jump back right in to, to read you some of the stuff about Allison's career and uh, remember him for a moment here on the Quick Pit Podcast. And I'm back. So, Davey Allison um, passed away uh, exactly, if you're listening to this on Thursday, uh, July 13th, exactly 30 years ago today. Allison was a 19-time winner in the Cup Series. He passed away when he was 32 years old. So, right at the prime of his career, a real shame, a real talent lost. Um, the Allison family, of course, storied in NASCAR history. Allison nearly won the 1992 championship. Uh, he went into the final race of that season uh, in competition with Alan Kowicki and Bill Elliott and I believe some one other driver. I forget who it was. Maybe Terry Labonte. Um, into the final race in position he led the points into that race having won at phoenix the week prior and uh got caught up in a wreck at atlanta and that cost him the title uh one of the greatest title fights in nascar history in 1992 and uh perhaps one of the most chilling statements made after his wreck uh the head announcer for that race on tv said well He'll have a chance to go get him next year. And unfortunately, Allison did not pass away halfway into the 1993 season. Uh, his last race was at Loudoun, where he finished third as we head into the Loudoun weekend. Um, and he had been as high as fifth in points after that race. So uh, we wanted I wanted to make sure we remembered Allison a little bit. Uh, definitely before my time, before Eric's time, before Connor's time. Um, and before many of ours time, if you're listening, but, uh, Davey Allison, uh, we remember him today and his great storied career in the history that he has given us and, and kind of the, what could have been if he had lived, uh, he would have probably, I don't think we'd talk about Jeff Gordon nearly as highly if Davey Allison had lived. And there's a couple of drivers from that era that, um, either were injured or killed that, um, would have dramatically shaped the NASCAR landscape in the 90s, shaped Dale Sr.'s numbers, his career, his uh, accolades, um, and that shaped, uh, would have shaped Jeff Gordon's as well, and and a lot of other drivers, Dale Jarrett, Jeff Burton, guys like that, that got their careers and found the most success in the mid to late 90s. So, um, yeah, I wanted to remember Davey Allison for a moment here, and, uh, yeah, so I, I believe 
This will uh, wrap up our new segment for the week. Bit of a quick one, uh, but a lot of stuff packed in. And we'll roll towards New Hampshire and getting ready for the Magic Mile. And I have some very exciting news to share for that. Uh, we've I've alluded to it throughout the past couple months, but it's official now. That's up next in the 213somewhere.com race preview segment for New Hampshire. Up next on the Quick Pit Podcast. to the quick pit podcast you made it to segment number three of this week's show the 213simmer.com race preview segment your place for all your sim racing gear and merchandise check out the link below as well as on social media because they have plenty of iRacing content over there we're on 213simmer's main race car in their series very excited about that you'll look for us on the door panel um, and uh, yes, we are very, very excited uh, to be partnered with them. We love the, the partnership we have and some of the gear and stuff. And I think maybe we should work towards getting some of our gear on there. I'll, I'll send them a message to see if we can get that working. But please, please go check them out. A uh, huge, huge partner of the show. And we love that they sponsor this segment as well as the scheduled It's Race Day tweet on Race Day that I'm sure many of you have seen on our Twitter feed. Also, speaking of Twitter, we are on threads. Uh, Haven't done much over there, but we do have an account. So if you want to check us out and follow over there, that would be much appreciated. Now we head to race number 20 of the NASCAR Cup Series schedule at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. The only visit to the track this year. Um, And uh, it should be an interesting one. And before I get any further, time to let you know I will be there. Not just being there, I will be there in the media center. That's right. I, Ethan Miller. I don't know if I've ever said my full name on there before, but I'm an adult now. So I uh, have been tasked by my writing outlet that you have seen us post a little bit. And I've mentioned before, SpeedwayDigest.com. Uh, love love that website. All your racing news in one place from, from ARCA to IndyCar and everywhere in between. All Even getting some dirt racing coverage rolling on there as well um yeah i write for them do a lot of indycar coverage as well as some nascar stuff uh some of the interviews you've heard on the podcast such as ryan vargas bj mcleod i've then written articles about that and done fuller profiles on those drivers and posted on there so please check that out um and, and and give it a look but i will be going there on writing assignments so very excited about that I'll probably attend the tweet up from Bob Podcast. So if you're listening and you're going to New Hampshire, uh, go say hi to me there. Would love, love to see you there. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll be on boots on the ground for that race, uh, which is very, very, very excited. I am very ready, and and I leave tomorrow morning. By this time tomorrow, if you're listening, I'm, re- I'm recording this right now at 2:22 p.m. On the 13th of July 2023 if you're reading this at this time tomorrow I might already be up in the New England region I'll be at the track both Saturday and Sunday so let's look at New Hampshire some of the best drivers to do it recently Kevin Harvick has three wins at the track in the last 10 races eight top tens an average finish of 8.5 keep an eye on him he has been very competitive the last two years with this next-gen car at the shorter, flatter tracks. Uh, he just That's the one place that Stuart Haas Racing, or at least Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, have got it figured out. So keep an eye on him. Christopher Bell is a madman at New Hampshire. He's won all three of his Xfinity Series starts at the track and has a win and two top fives in his three Cup Series starts. Uh, really, really impressive. He won last year, finished second in 2021. Um, yeah, Christopher Bell, keep your eye on him. He is a big factor this weekend for, uh, the race win. Brad Keselowski has been much better recently this season. He's having a really solid year. Uh, he's got a win here recently in 2020. 
seven top tens in the last ten races, and a pole average finish of 9.7. Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. are the only drivers to finish on the lead lap in each of the last ten races at New Hampshire. Martin Truex Jr. has two poles and has led a ton of laps, but has not won. He's got five top fives and eight top tens, the most in the series over that span. Denny Hamlin has one win, four top fives, and seven top tens. Some guys you should avoid. Chase Elliott, despite finishing second here last year, has struggled a little bit um, uh, at, at the track in the last ten races here uh, as he, uh, in his nine career starts at the racetrack, uh, only has three top tens and only has led 99 laps. So maybe stay away from him. Some underdogs. Eric Almarola won this race two years ago in 2021. Bit of a surprise there, but uh, keep an eye on him to maybe mix things up after coming off of a, a at least morale-improving weekend at Atlanta where he won the pole. And I would also consider looking at Kyle Busch, who does have a win here and has led a lot of laps over the last 10 races at the track. As for picks, I forgot to ask Connor and Eric their picks, so I do not have their picks. I'm going to make my pick now. Well, correction, I have Eric's pick because he's picking Kyle Larson the whole time. I do not have Connor's pick. We'll get series pick here in a second. My pick is going to be Christopher Bell um, because... He's won here a lot before, and uh, I'm going to go with the chalk pick in this scenario. Christopher Bell is my pick. Eric's pick, Kyle Larson, as he's doing for the rest of the season. Series pick will be, as I pull it up, the 17 of Chris Buescher. That could be a very interesting pick, and that would be a very interesting win, but not necessarily surprising either. So I, I do like that one. I'll get Connor's pick and we'll make sure we know by next week. That'll do it for this week's episode. Come find me at New Hampshire if you're going. If you're listening, tweet at me at emillerwrites on Twitter. Uh, I'll probably repost my account from the podcast account so you can all find me. I'll do most of the updates from there, not the podcast Twitter. Come find me at the tweet up or something. Hit me up and maybe we'll find a time to, to meet up uh, if I get a break. or I think the tweet up would be cool. Um, but overall, thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you to Eric for joining me in the first segment. Um, thank you to all our sponsors, Washington on the daily spoiler, diecast.com variety sports network, VSN and two thirteen somewhere.com. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you share it around and we'll see you next week on the quick pit podcast.